Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Drunk Friend Podcast. It's episode 76. I never thought we'd make it this far, Alex. 76 episodes? What? What? Why not? It's so many. It's so many. No, that's not true. It's it's totally, like, there are podcasts out there between two regular-ass white dudes that, you know, just talk about video games that are in the hundreds at yeah. this point. That's Polykill. That's my other podcast. But uh, yeah. <laughs> this one, I mean, my goodness, 76. My goodness. My goodness. Vern Lund could say. Yep. Man, man. Well, you know, I was over, I will say your neck of the woods, not really, but I was over on your side of the uh, the earth there. I had a, had a work trip there to Vegas and the weather was mm. nice. I don't know what you're complaining about. I know you're not exactly, you're eight hours from Vegas, but it was 70 degrees there and it was great. Uh, up here in the high desert, uh, in the elevation up here, mm-hmm. you know, 5,800 feet up here, we've got, uh, you know, it might be 55 degrees at a high in February, but on the low end, we're dipping down to 20 mm. or so. And plus, there's no trees or anything like that. So we're getting lots of wind. Ah. And that's not fun. So now, yeah, now, well, cool. well, it's no Vegas. Vegas was great, and uh, I'd never been before. So there we go. We knocked that off the old Me bucket neither. list. I've never been to Vegas either. You know, it's uh, it is what it is, and I know people say that, and that means nothing to anybody ever. <laughs> but you know what? Well, you can say that about Vegas. It is what it is. It's just it's just bright lights and smelly people. No, no, no. You got to say bright. You got to say it like Ric Flair. You got to say bright lights, big city. Mm. And you got to scream it at the top of your lungs like Ric Flair. I might try that another time. But speaking of Ric Flair, you did let out a good Ric Flair woo during your, was it Wiz video? Yeah, it was. It was Wiz because it was, uh, yeah, developed by Flair Software. Yes. Woo. Woo. Yes. Very good. Yeah. Man. So, yeah, it's Wiz is... uh, a pretty strongly mediocre game made by a British developer, uh, Flare Software, and it's one of their better efforts, honestly, because it's it's okay. Strongly, you know, it's it's one of those games that's uh, an Amiga developed game. Mm, it looks Amiga, yeah. That's that's it. Yeah, you know how a game looks Amiga. It's that not looks just Amiga. The graphics. Yeah, it, it's it's the color scheme. It's mm-hmm. it's the colors that they use. It's it's they aren't off colors. They are primary colors. They are like a strong green and a strong yellow. Yeah, and you know they're just bright as hell. They so they annoying. had eight colors in that primary crayon box, and they used all of them. They didn't even dip into the sixteen or the sixty four. Right, count. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. The crayon box, exactly. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. But yeah, that's. Yeah, that game's okay. It's not even okay. It's on the lower end of okay. Right. So, I'd never heard of whatever. it before, ever. It released in the U.S. This wasn't like PAL exclusive or anything, right? That's right. Yeah, it was Man. released in the U.S. And uh, that this is a classic case of a game where I'm just looking at the list of Super Nintendo games, and I'm just looking at it. I was like, wait, what the hell is this? Wiz? There's a game called Wiz in the United States. It amazes really? me that you don't have like an intimate familiarity with that list. No, that you could, you're still surprised. That that is impressive. Wiz, not that great. Not that great. Well, another game we we covered some not so greats. Well, you actually you have a pretty fun one uh, that you're going to talk about in a second. But I did uh, the Untouchables on the NES, which has a has a Super Nintendo counterpart, maybe even a Genesis counterpart. I'm not sure. Uh, basically, the same games except ones you know the NES one is. 8-bit 
you know, the eight bit version. Yeah, a lot of a lot of shooting without without using the light gun, which would have been extremely helpful. Uh, given that it's uh, you know, mostly a gallery shooter, there is there is like platforming in one awful level where you have to like chase a baby carriage down some steps. You've seen the movie. It is it's not great. Why are you making a gallery shooter in the NES and not using the zapper? Right? What's Why that? Why? Why? I mean, you could. That's just lazy. And if it was like because there's some other buttons involved, right? You get to duck in and out of cover, but you know, a couple games did that great. Lone Ranger, an example of a game that uses, uh, you can use the light gun and the controller, and uh, Laser Invasion is another example. Ocean, Ocean always did the bare minimum for their, I mean, LJ, let's say LJN did the bare minimum, but Ocean made their games like a specific flavor of bad. I felt like LJN would experiment with their licenses. Ocean would make everybody <laughs> well, a that. squatty character and make every movement slippery as fuck. Everything's so slick. Well, well I was going to say it looked like the, uh, uh, what do you call it? The cursor is always like either way too slow or way too fast. It's There's so no slow. in between. Yeah, yeah it's so slow. Like, if you're going to not use the uh, the zapper, then you better speed the heck up out of the cursor with yeah. the D-pad. Because otherwise, you're just, like, slowly, you know, especially yeah. as fast as enemies are popping up on the screen when it comes to untouchables. They are literally untouchable. Oh, they are. And I think I made a reference that, like, moving the cursor around is like running your finger through mud. Like it feels that <laughs> slow and weird. It's not, it's not comfortable at all. Although I, you know, I did get a kick out of some parts of it. There's one part, one level where you're on the ground, you're on your belly, you got your gun, your, your, I guess it's, a, I don't know if it's a pistol. I think it's a Tommy gun. I don't know. It doesn't matter. You're Elliot Ness and you got these, these, you know, bootleggers, uh, jumping out from behind trucks and you got to shoot them, but you're rolling back and forth on the ground. You do this for like a solid three, three or four minutes. And just the idea of a guy. Rolling on the ground, shooting guys, go rolling all the way to one side, shooting a guy, keep just roll all the way back to the other side, shoot another guy. And these guys are firing on they can't they can't hit him. That's hilarious to me. Just the comedy of that for three straight minutes. Benny Hill music ringing out. Nobody shooting anybody. We're just rolling around on the ground. Oh, it's so good. You you said it was like a an SNL skit. I just imagine Phil Hartman in, you know, like a, a fedora, you know, like an Indiana Jones <laughs> yeah. hat, just like rolling around, like, yep. ah, ah, like screaming the whole time, like just shooting John Lovitz and, mm. uh, you know, Nora Dunn over and over, you know, whoever over and over again. It's hilarious to me. Yeah, it's it's pretty it's pretty stupid. I mean, it's it's a very NES game it's yeah very much of its era but why does it exist why does it need to exist it didn't need it, to it exist doesn't at all yeah. no you're right uh but what the golf yeah what the golf, what uh, the golf? you're asking that as a question what i don't i don't understand uh, yeah <laughs> that is a great question but it is a katamari type game but uh and people will be turned off by the whole golf aspect of it because uh uh, I mean, golf in the title is going to turn people away alone, I and I say that in like the first thirty seconds of the of the video. Like, do not be dissuaded by the fact that golf is in the title because this game is hilarious and really fun because uh, it works both with a mouse and a joypad and with touchscreen very easily. Uh, so you can manipulate the shot meter 
to move whatever object that happens to be whatever you're moving on that particular puzzle mm-hmm. uh, anywhere you want. And it's great. Uh, there's cars, there's gas barrels, there's explosions, there's baseball, there's golf occasionally. Not very often, though. It's not very golf very often. Uh, there's tennis sometimes. It's a very strange game, but it's mostly a puzzle game more than it's a golf game. Right. And so you're just kind of using like physics tricks, right? To just launch yes. things across a screen to try to get in a, the hole, I guess. Right. I, well, just to get to where you need to go. Right, right. And it's it's an easy game to get the hang of. Uh, it's very forgiving where it's there are certain parts where there are things manipulating your trajectory, like uh, there are fans blowing left and right uh, your ball, so to speak, mm-hmm. uh, and you get to, uh, you know, click, you know, in my case, click and hold and send the shot meter a certain way. I, it's hard to explain right, in right. that way. Uh, it's It's just, I'm getting too far into the weeds with that, but... It is a really fun, weird game. Like, you're flinging people around. You're flinging baseballs around. You're flinging bowling balls around. You're flinging everything around. It's weird. It's a very strange game. Uh, Katamari is my go-to comparison. It's it's in that same universe. It's got the same strange uh, art style, I guess I would say. Yeah. So, yeah. It makes a lot of really neat references, like there's portal levels and a super hot level, and yeah, it's it's very, I don't know, I don't know, just referential. It's neat. It's a pop culture game. It's great. Yeah, uh, I watched some people Absolutely. play it when we were at Magfest. We were uh, a few people were playing it in the hotel room to pass the time, and uh, I got a kick out of watching people play it because everything was a close call. It was like no, 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 no. Like that was the word I heard the most. <laughs> people just falling off the edges and stuff like that. So super fun game. Good review as always, man. So. um Let's jump into some Thanks. emails. Uh, we got a couple here, and, and we're only going to do a couple this time. We got a good guest coming up, as you, you probably saw there on the title. So we want to want to get through some emails and then spend the rest of the time with our guy Frank Safaldi. So uh, this first email, uh, why don't you take this one? Because this is your guy, right? You know this fella. I know this fella. He's Spell Dragon from uh, the Snestrunk Discord, and his uh, subject is TG sixteen. And he says, I recently picked up the Super HD System 3 Pro. Awful name. <laughs> Blame Terra, on- Terra Onion? All right, really? I will. For for, <laughs> for PC Engine and TurboGrafx-16 and have been playing a ton of great games I've missed out on. The console and its CD attachment feel like the perfect in-between of the NES and SNES, so it made me think of you. Hmm. Thanks. Yeah. Have you... Have either of you have either of you spent much time with the console? Sure, it has great shoot 'em ups, but there are also RPGs we're starting to get translations for, a picture-taking platformer, and a ton of Sega ports like Golden Axe, Hellfire, and Gain Ground. Let me know if you want any suggestions. Toilet Kids seems like a game you'd get a laugh from. Spell wow. Dragon from Discord. Dang. Toilet you kids. must I've think never heard very of. highly of us if you're talking toilet kids. Man. I would, I would that probably high bro. I'd probably love it. Um, oh yeah, I you know I that wish I'd like Cabbage Patch Kids. It, I first thing it popped in my head, and part of me was hoping that the cover had that art style because I think that's fun. <laughs> um, right. 
I haven't spent a ton of time with the TG-16. I have one. I don't have a ton of games for it, but my favorite game is Blazing Laser. So when he talks about, you know, there's a lot of great shmups on the system, that's where my brain locked in on, man. That's the best one, in yeah. my opinion, yeah. Yeah. It's it's so fast. You know, I, I, I hate to be so easy to please when it comes to stuff like that, but you're not, I'm not used to seeing games that look like that be that fast. Mm-hmm. It's incredibly strange to me so yeah and plus it has a lot of bomberman games and there's you know yeah. uh I f- the link to the past uh not link to the past but zelda the uh, utopias i think is that what they're the called? utopia yeah. games yeah th- those are good i will say one shoot 'em up that gets uh shot under you know is a little under obscurity is air zonk i think it's kind of one of those uh, what do you call it? Uh, Parodious type mm. games. If people are into those, uh, but it's Parodious, but with the Bonk series, right? Kind of interesting. It, it is a little like, weird. Takes yeah. Influence. Yeah, it's it's pretty cool. Uh, Air Zonk. Uh, if you like Parodious, if you like shoot 'em ups, go for Air Zonk. That's my suggestion for TG sixteen. Right on, man. Question for you. Um. TG16 and all. Have you ever reviewed any TG16 games on the channel? And there's a lot. There's a lot of weird no. stuff in there. I think I feel like it would potentially fit your your you know your area. I did. Oh, it fit my area. Would it? No, no I think just, it might fit uh, your area, everybody. <laughs> no, I did a, a big uh, all-encompassing. Mm, that's right. Uh, review of it uh, a few years ago. Um, I. Remember Airzonk sticking out to me and that being a, a really good game. Uh it has the Splatterhouse games and yeah. of course all the shoot 'em ups. Good call. Yeah, I forgot about the Splatterhouse. I, I have that one and uh fun version. I like it. Simple. Right on. All right. So yeah, TG sixteen. Unfortunately I don't have a, a strong history with it, so I will say Spell Dragon. Catch me over there on that old Discord and fill me in with some of your favorites. Uh and yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna give Toilet Kids a try. I'm gonna be brave, I'm gonna do it. All right, our next email here comes from Dylan B. It's titled Podcast Rating Plus Sports. He says, hey guys, did you know that you can now rate podcasts on Spotify? I just found out this week. Apparently you have to listen to a couple of episodes before it will allow you to put a rating down. And so I'm going to stop right there and let Dylan B's uh, PSA ring out. Folks, if you listen to us on Spotify, listen to a couple episodes, give us a little rating there. Let, you know, we didn't, pay, we didn't pay Dylan to send that now. email. He did that on his own. So we appreciate that, Dylan, letting us uh, have the opportunity to to make people aware of that, because that would be awesome. Okay, then then uh, the rest of the email, he says, Video game question. When playing sports games, did you primarily play as your local or favorite team, both, both for against friends or during seasons, franchise modes? As a Packers and Pens fan, I avoided playing as them, as they were usually stacked, so wanted the challenge of playing as the Arizona Cardinals or Nashville Predators. But since my Blue Jays were usually only all right, I had no problem playing as them. Keep your stick on the ice and happy holidays. All right. Happy ho- right after Valentine's Day, a happy Valentine's Day to you too, Dylan. Um, I don't know. This is an interesting question because I didn't have any local teams to me. I grew up in the middle of nowhere. And I grew up in the middle of nowhere in an era before there were like, you know, 
uh, where I was from, the, now the closest team would be the Carolina Panthers. But before that, you know, there was no Tennessee Titans. They were in Houston. The closest thing to me was maybe uh, the Steelers, which were three states away, or or the you know the Redskins or the Washington football team. And so uh, I kind of just went with whoever, like you said, would give me a good challenge a lot of the times. I remember playing as the Bengals, which, you know, this year would have been fine. But I remember playing as the Bengals a ton because my high school team, and when I was a little kid, I had a lot of school pride. I wanted to grow up and be a good football player for the local high school. Uh, colors were black and orange. So the Bengals seemed like a good fit. I could kind of... I could, oh, nice. I could, I could don the black and orange and, and do a thing or whatever. Back when they had... Who was that quarterback? Uh... Oh, I'll have to think about it. You'll you'll get a kick out of it. Oh, you're talking about how far back are you going? You going Boomer Esiason? No, not that far back. I'm talking mid '90s. Was like Achilles Smith or something? Or uh, Achilles Smith? Well, what am I thinking? Was he the quarterback for like eight games or something like that? Maybe, but he was in the game. David Klingler. David Klingler. There you go. John Kitna. No, I don't think it was John Kitna. You're gonna have me name dropping. Bengals quarterbacks for the rest of the, Jeff Blake. Jeff is Blake. Yeah, Jeff Blake was in there. <laughs> I remember playing as Jeff Blake a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're gonna have me name dropping. Let's just name drop quarterbacks the rest of the podcast. Uh, <laughs> how about uh, Jake Plummer? Oh about, no, uh, what have I done? I'm so sorry, everybody. Uh, Wade Wilson, uh, uh, not uh, Deadpool, but Wade Wilson from the Vikings. How about Tommy Kramer? How about Rich Gannon? How about Sean Salisbury? Were you always a Minnesota team? Were you always the Vikings or the yes. uh, whoever? Okay. Very no much what. so. Um, the thing is, though, is that uh, when the North Stars left in NHL, uh, after NHL 94, I want to say, then I just took the worst team because mm-hmm. the games just got more interesting when, um, you know, I wanted to, my my guys to succeed you know, it, you feel more pride. It, it's sure. funny this gets bring this gets brought up because um, there is a phone game that I play called Retro Bowl that some people might know, hmm. and I pick the worst team uh, every time. There are uh, teams that have uh, offense and defense ranked between one and five stars. And uh, I'm going to apologize to our friend Captain Drachma right away, but the Lions always have one-star offense and one-star defense. <laughs> and so I always pick the Lions. And so I'm always playing to... Uh, I, I never win the Super Bowl the first season, but by that second season, you better believe I'm in the NFC Championship. Right on, man. Yeah, that's the same way I play the you know the NCAA games, uh, the yeah. football games. I mean, obviously, you know... Live in Blacksburg now. Huge, huge yeah. fan of the Hokies. I never play as Virginia Tech, ever. I have to pick like University of Texas San Antonio or something like <laughs> UMass Amherst, like some some school that one I don't have a bias against naturally, so not a rival because I don't want to. Right, right. That's be. that's tough. And it, 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 honestly, it's it's good to have a team that's like just complete North Texas, just a team that's completely under the radar, hasn't had success in a long time, and you just kind of build Oregon it up. State. Yeah, that's a fun one. I've, I, you know, because they got the black and orange. I've been Oregon State a few times, so yeah, that's <laughs> that's my recipe too. So yeah, I'm not unlike uh, Dylan here. I like to, uh, I like to go more for the challenge and build up something. It's not, it's not so much about playing as a team I like or anything like that. Although uh, back when I had a stint as a Cowboys fan, uh, some of those early John Madden games were pretty fun because you could just dominate. <laughs> but, 
right when the pandemic started, there was a fellow on SBNation.com that was like, I'm going to take the worst college football, or not college football, college basketball team in College Hoops 2K8, and I'm going to make a dynasty out of them. And it was Western Illinois. And it was fascinating because you could watch this dude. This game was the kind of game that allowed you to recruit Mm -hmm. and, you know, like go all out with, you know, this game was remarkably modern with the kind of stuff Mm -hmm. that it was able to do. And yeah, he went 40 years with this. And this is basketball. We're talking like 40 games a year. Yeah, well, he simmed most of them. Sure. But, uh, okay, good. When it came to the conference championship and the NCAA championship, he played all of those games and he recruited all of those players and he went all the way to 2046 47, <laughs> <Jeez>. which is <laughs> this guy was all in. And this is like a project that he came up with right when the pandemic started. So. Mm-hmm. He was like, I need sports, like, because there was nothing going on. So he's like, I thought this would be fun. So I, I've been, po- I've been following this guy for a while, and uh, yeah, it, he, it's funny because uh, his coach keeps getting badgered by other uh, colleges, like, you need to leave Western Illinois and come, come coach Duke or Kansas or UCLA or whatever. And he's like, no. I'm going to stay at Western Illinois for 40 years. <laughs> it's That's fucking hilarious. Whole, that is awesome. Man. I was, but yeah. I was trying to see he's, if I could find the guy's name. but Yeah. Oh, well, his name is Ricky O'Donnell. Okay. Awesome. Uh, he's on uh, SB Nation, and he's recruiting these like 6'11", 290-pound dudes. Jeez. <laughs> it's just... Man. Western Illinois is just a it's... powerhouse. Powerhouse. <laughs> right. Dang. Like I was saying, I remember saying way back when uh, for, I first found this, like this team should be a football team. No kidding. But, yeah. That is it's awesome. Great. It's great stuff. Oh, man. Well, hey, speaking of great stuff, I think we got a pretty good interview coming up for you. We got the, the one and only. We got Frank Cifaldi on here, you know? Video Game History Foundation. It's an awesome thing. It's an oh, awesome that guy? Cause. Yeah, we got that guy on here. I know that guy. Yeah, he's coming yeah, on. Guy. Yeah, he's coming up. He's gonna be, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be a great interview. And, you know, I guarantee we're going to ask we're gonna ask him about that foundation. We're going to ask him about that time that he recently got to interview a few folks from the Nintendo Power, including Howard Phillips and Gail Tilden. You know, that's awesome. Uh, and we're, you know, we're going to ask him zip drives, uh, old hard drives. What's going on with that? A lot of magazines. We're going to ask him all kinds of nitty gritty stuff and it's going to be fun. So stick around and check it out. Hi everybody. This is Steve from the Poly Kill podcast. Are you ever sitting up late at night wondering how your life got to this point? How you ever managed to amass so many great games, but finish so few of them? Us too. So join me and Trav as we talk about what we're playing, what we're beating, and what our community managed to beat as well. Check us out wherever you find podcasts or at polymedianetwork.com. And don't forget to hashtag just beat it. Frank, we know you're a busy, busy guy. the founder and co-director of the Video Game History Foundation. We have lots to ask about the foundation, what led to it, and we want to chat about your recent interview with a pair of Nintendo Power Legends. So thank you for taking the time to be here with us. Uh, thank you. It was a pair of pairs. There were, there, were, there were four of them. I would call them all legends. 
fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, unfortunately, I had to miss it, but I gave Alex over here my ticket, and so I made sure that somebody got in there and got eyes on uh, on what was going on there. And I heard great things, and and I'm excited to actually see it uh, when it cool. eventually goes live. And and we, we got tons to ask you about that here in a second. But I wanted to jump in first uh, about the Video Game History Foundation, which is you know what you're I guess most involved in now. I knew you from the Lost Levels years ago, and caught some panels where you shared some Lost NES games. But now you're entrenched in this Video Game History Foundation. Uh, what's the mission with that? Can you describe it a little bit? Yeah, I mean, you know, the the sort of like mission statement that you see on the website is 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 uh, a very fuzzy like you know we're here to preserve video game history and we're here to preserve, celebrate, and teach video game history. That that's sort of the the core. But uh, what that sort of means in reality um, is that we are a charity that is in service to. Uh, those who tell the story of video games. Um, we want to make it easier to do that. We want to provide access to the things that people need to do that. Um, so what that tends to mean is, uh, you know, helping YouTubers, helping authors, documentarians, stuff like that. And, and, uh, providing, for example, we have a physical library here with, um, pretty much every sort of video game adjacent magazine, um, books and stuff like that, but a lot of behind the scenes material, you know, game dev stuff, uh, press releases and promo things that were sent to magazines, things like that. But, but essentially everything that we do is to, to make video game history better to sort of fill in the cracks for people. And we definitely appreciate you for that. Um, so when it comes to how you eventually got persuaded into, uh, being a big part of this, what, what was kind of the tipping point for you? Because one one of the things about video games is that, uh, you know, I, I assume that, you know, we're all kind of in the same age range here. Uh, we're lucky enough to have seen the video game industry mature over the mm-hmm. years f- f- and develop kind of like how our parents' generation saw the music industry develop. So w- what was the tipping point that made you uh, get involved with this? Um. I mean, we're we're going way back. You mentioned lost levels. I mean, that's next year is the twenty year anniversary of that. So, I mean, I, I've been doing this for a really long time. Um, it started in the late nineties when I got my first computer and my first access to the internet, and um, discovered emulation, just software emulation as a concept that you could run old games on a computer, and I just thought that was the coolest thing I'd ever seen. Um, and I was fascinated by the technology behind that. And I was fascinated by how these files got online, these, these ROMs that you, that you load, like, well, how do, how do they get off the cartridge and onto the computer and, um, kind of went down that rabbit hole and, and, uh, found communities that were, um, still sort of like seeking out the, the cartridge games. I mean, we're talking like 98, like we, we didn't have like the full licensed set online yet. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like it was pretty early days. Um, and so I just thought that sort of, you know, that pursuit was, uh, really interesting of, of like, let's find all the games and put them online. I, I, that's just something I, I, I could get behind. And, and, um, I think, you know, just being interested in that, um, and having had seen a documentary on, I think AMC about film preservation and, and how we had, 
uh, lost so many American movies that were shot before like the thirties and how they're like actually gone forever. Cause no one did anything about it. And I think something just between those two things clicked for me and, and sure. Um, you know, I, I don't know that, <laughs> I don't know that in retrospect, like, you know, super spike V ball on the NES would have been like lost forever if not, for <laughs> but, but, um, but, you know, I was, pretty quickly getting into things like uh well like the, the the first sort of like weird thing that i did was track down um the uh the taiwanese game maker uh sachin who was who were still in business somehow hmm. um and you know none of their weird games were dumped and and they had made like 64 for the system like so you know, sort of starting to import all the the odd stuff that wasn't in the sort of canonical Famicom or NES set and dumping those and um and you know, started meeting collectors and 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 uh sort of working with them and and you know what 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 really got my attention the most was uh was unreleased games uh Mm -hmm. and and that's where lost levels came from and and i think that's where you know that might be the first time i used the word preservation from what i was doing right i I think Mm -hmm. at the time it was more just like i want all the games to be online because i think that would be cool but you know (laughs) i I think i think lost levels was where i kind of you know evolved that into like well let's not just put a file online like let's let's actually get the stories behind these games. Cause without context, they're just crappy games. Um, but w- you know, if, if we know how and why they were made and, and who made them and, uh, you know, what happened to make it what it was, then, you know, that now it's history. And, and, uh, I, I, I guess, you know, if you want to trace back the video game history foundation work, I'd say it, it, it really kind of shifted there. That's when it became about, saving history and um and then uh i don't know then another 19 years went by and here i am today (laughs) (laughs) i mean i don't know how much i should get into like you know my game dev career and stuff like that but basically like past that i just kind of started getting jobs within and around the video game industry and and um i always sort of saw it as uh, an excuse to stay close to the work I really wanted to do, which was the preservation stuff, which just wasn't a job that would ever pay me. Right. Or so I thought. Um, and, you know, eventually uh, I just found myself in a situation, um, you know, financially and all that, where I could afford to take some time off and not get paid uh, and just focus on this sort of thing. So I did. And, that was uh, five years ago, and and uh, it took you know a good four and a half years, but uh, I managed to uh, get myself a salary, so I can just do this for the rest of my life. So that's where we are, and that is awesome, by the way. Three three people now. We're, we're last growing. a year ago, it was zero paid employees. We're now at three. It's a little bit terrifying, but we're okay. <laughs> well, that's good to hear, and I think. Um, and a lot, a lot of the things you said, I can, I can point to and say, I kind of have, you know, a, a mind for games in that way too. And that it's to me, it's not all about playing them. And you mentioned, you, you made a good point that you know, without some of the context, these are just crappy games. And I like, you know, I'm, I'm 
a bit of a collector. I don't, I don't think that we, there's a parallel there necessarily. You're not collecting things. You're, you're preserving them. But there's something about, you know, the context of it, the marketing materials, the people that made it, a lot of things that get forgotten about when you're playing a game or, or just judging a game, whether it's good or bad. So uh, I think there's a lot of um, interesting things that, that can come out of this. And I'm glad that you, you know, went for it as a career because that's awesome. And, you know, that that's just to interrupt quickly, That yeah. that's all we do here, uh, which mm-hmm. I think surprises people. We don't collect games. Uh, right. We just feel we feel that access to playing games is a is an incredibly solved problem, especially if we're talking like 80s and 90s stuff. Um, so we do we don't try to reinvent the wheel on, on that. Um, that I mean, we do go out and sort of seek like the prototypes and stuff like that just to make sure that they're digitized. But, yeah, we only collect context, not games. Right, right. Uh, and, you know, maybe even the more interesting thing about some of the games that are out there is the context around them. But um, thinking about, like, how much you've grown over the last three years, I don't know what what the office space is like. I don't know what it looks like in there. But w- what are we dealing with? We have a lot of hard drives. We have cabinets. We have file cabinets. <laughs> is, is it chaos? What's going on? Well, uh, it's currently chaos because we're mid-move. Um, but uh, our main space... Um, is about a thousand square feet. Um, and the majority of what is here, uh, is books, magazines, files. So things like, uh, paper press releases and brochures from CES and E3 and stuff like that. Um, and, uh, some data, um, and, oh, actually a lot of optical discs with like, uh, electronic press kits and stuff like that. And, we really focus on that the most. Like that's actually our bread and butter. I think is the material that was sent to magazines, um, because that just tends to be what people need the most. Like a, a good example of that would be uh, my friend Danny O'Dwyer uh, runs a, a company called No Clip. They do video game documentaries. He just did a documentary on um, DMA Design, which was the the uh, Scotland studio that that uh birthed grand theft auto but mm. you know before that lemmings and all that um and you know he asked us if we had material and and we were able to support the documentary with press kits that were sent to magazines in you know 96 or whatever that had all this cool stuff that they never published in the magazines because no one gave a crap about grand theft auto at the time um so you know, because we we managed to get these press kits, he, he the the documentary was able to show like concept art and like a photo of the team and stuff like that. And and um, we have actually thousands of those discs, and they are currently extremely uncatalogued. And we're <laughs> we're working on that. We only just hired our librarian. We had to I had to work five years to to afford one, but uh, <laughs> you know, we're 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 starting to get there. But yeah, I mean, in terms of you know. In theory, we're we can accept researchers. We don't do it often. Well, I mean, even if COVID wasn't a thing, we we wouldn't be doing it too often, just because we're not staffed for it. I'm, I'm kind of the only one that's full time in the office mm-hmm. uh, currently, but um, that's what we're looking at main office. But there's also literally four storage units, <laughs> and, and those are, those are a bit more uh, uh, chaotic. Uh, yeah, but you know, all kinds of stuff in there. Um, just and are you getting more stuff like all the time that it's like oh time for another storage unit not i mean luckily because what we mostly collect is information um 
information oh, okay, tends yeah. to be small, right? It tends to be a disc. It tends to be sure. a book. It tends to be a magazine. So, um, it's, it, it, it does sort of grow organically, but we, you know, I'm, we're smart. We, we understand our scope because we know how many people there are. We know what we can afford for rent. And, and so we've, we've, we've kind of honed in on what it is that, um, we specialize in. And, and again, that's why we don't collect retail video games, for example. Right. We, um, sure. so, you know, it's, um, it's, it's, it hasn't, it's, it's not a problem yet. Uh, and, and when we tend to, you know, go out and seek things, they, they tend to be fairly small or in a lot of cases, honestly, like, you know, last year we quote unquote collected a lot of things, but um, a lot of it was actually just digitizing someone else's things um, and adding them to our digital archive. Um, right. So I think I saw um, you show that off at Magfest, right? There was, it was like this big effort to go to this guy's house who'd kind of forgotten he had this stuff and you. Yeah. Right. That was interesting. That was really cool. Yeah. So that was, I mean, uh, that was um, Ed Semrad was well there's two guys we there there were two basements that we lived in in <laughs> Chicago last year uh but the one you're referring to would be Ed Semrad who was editor in chief of Electronic Gaming Monthly for a really long time but uh even prior to that going back to like 82 or something he had a weekly newspaper column reviewing games and so um you know Kelsey and I I I had I had met Ed previously but he he's not someone who has really talked about his career. I'm, I'm not going to call him a hermit. That's a strong right. word, but you know, he's just, he's, he's an old guy. He's not online. Um, so, you know, I, I had developed a little bit of a relationship with him and, and was very fortunate that he, that he invited us into his home. And yeah, we ended up in his basement for about six hours, just like taking through every box and, um, uncovered, I don't know, hundred something prototype cartridges, including some unreleased NES stuff that, as far as I know, there are literally no other copies of. So that's awesome. Um, but and then we also digitized like he had hundreds of photos that he had taken from around the world of like arcades in, in the nineties and stuff like that. And um, so you know, I, I this is a roundabout way of saying that like yeah, we're we're collecting we're collecting a lot, but right? Right. It, it doesn't tend to take up a lot of physical space, and um, it's actually uh, you know not to go off on a tangent too much but I, I think one of our strengths at the video game history foundation is that um we i like to say that we don't we don't a hundred percent play by the rules of a traditional archive but but we don't 100 percent break them either we we just can be a little bit more flexible um in the sense that like a traditional museum doesn't have anything in place where they're going to fly to someone's house and digitize things that they don't own. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like that's, that's not, that's not a thing a, a museum or a library typically can do, but we've sort of recognized that that's what's needed in the world is, is, uh, is an organization that's trusted by people that can be flexible, like a, I don't know, like a ROM dumping group, right? Like, like, a like, like what we like to call citizen archivists, right? Mm -hmm. um, but also has the money to go do it. So, you know, the yeah. relationship and the money and the trust is something that I think we're very uniquely positioned 
to do. And so we can go out and do things like that. And we don't have to own the material. We can just, you know, be happy that we've, uh, that we've essentially digitized it and gotten permission to, in some cases, to share it. I'm not getting copyright permission from these ROMs, but um, I am passing them off to someone who doesn't care. So, right, yeah, it's <laughs> the the, na- the nature of video games lends itself well, yeah, to what you what you guys do. Uh, you don't need a lot of space because, well, you need a lot of hard drive space. Eventually, uh, we do. There, I'm, I'm looking older, at a 25 terabyte NAS that is full. <laughs> yes. Oh, <laughs> And it probably has a backup of a backup too. I'm sure. Um, uh, it's pretty expensive. There is a backup. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> there, there's a backup in another state. But oh, we, thank goodness. But we haven't done the third backup. I like that. Just in case that whole state goes under, you still have another backup somewhere else in a secure location. <laughs> that's, that's a good idea. Um, I, you know, I've been to a, a number of your talks, and, and you, you get asked like they're, they're like three common questions. One is like how you getting this stuff. The other one is like how can I see it. And um, I guess another one would be, can I see it, right? So, and, and that's the thing that you always remind people is like, hey, we're not a museum. We're, we're just, we're kind of taking care of this stuff. And there's some stuff that you have that you've been entrusted with not showing, uh, right? Aren't there some publishers and, and development um, companies that have said, uh, you can you can take some of this stuff, but we don't want it shared. I think I well, recall you saying that. I don't, uh, I mean, we have things that we can't share um, digitally. That, that we have physically right but, right um and that a lot of that is just straight up copyright law like um you know we mentioned you know things like roms and uh, you know there's a line that like, sort of a common sense line i like to say with with that stuff where it's like i'm not gonna i'm not gonna poke the bear with like you know review builds of xbox 360 games or something that just seems a little <laughs> bit too recent but but um but we can theoretically offer on-site access to that but um i think what you might be referring to is is uh what i think is the most important thing in video games which is uh the actual source code of the games right um mm-hmm. and uh, i'll give a brief layman's background on that so the data that's on, I don't know, an NES cartridge, that's just pure data. You know, like that's that, that that's not the raw game. The raw game, it was written in an entirely different language um, and was essentially like translated uh, to run on your Nintendo. And, and um, if you were to look at that raw code and raw art and stuff like that, um, you would be able to sort of understand all of the mechanics in play like if you if you understood the programming language of course uh you might find things that were cut from the game and uh are not in that cartridge at all even even in unused data um because it's just not compiled into that cartridge um and uh i i just think there's no better way to study a game than than to you know actually be inside of it and see its raw materials and be able to tweak it in code and build it and see how that changes things like that's just that's just the best way to understand a game and and that source code first of all is i mean almost all gone at this point like no one really backed that stuff up uh and second of all when they did um source code is 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 seen as a trade secret 
mm-hmm. if you're a video game company. Like that's 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 the Coca-Cola formula or whatever, right? Like that's right. Like someone could take that and copy it and copy your game. Um, and I think that's a little ridiculous for games that are you know twenty plus years old or whatever. But that's that's the situation that we're in. And um, yes, we we do have some source code that was uh gifted to us in a sort of like i don't know you know (laughs) i can't do anything with this but i know it's important can you hold on to it and figure it out um so we do we have been collecting source code um and we are uh in the very very early days of figuring out like what can we do with this um and it's really complicated but uh but in terms of things that like oh i can't share that i mean that that's all that really comes to mind for me it's like okay this is literally stolen property (laughs) that no one's (laughs) supposed to have um that uh we need to walk a fine line and figure out and we're we're actively trying to um like literally the week a week from today i think is what, what is today a week from yesterday as we're recording this. so next week um is like a kickoff meeting with our like committee that we've put together of people from around the industry and a lawyer and like someone in academia and stuff where we're just trying to figure out like what can we do with source code because it's not something that there, there's not a playbook for it yet like there's right. not a there's not rules You're yet making it up as you go we yeah, are absolutely pretty, making it up crazy. as we go yeah, yeah. um and so yeah, like that's all I can think of. That's like, don't please don't share this. I, I actually, I guess a couple unreleased games that are again just kind of too fresh to mm. to talk about. But we're we're certainly not hiding anything from people on sure. purpose. You know, yeah, I don't I don't think you're Area Fifty One or anything. But no, uh, it's a lot of it's just <laughs> like you know, how do we get it to people digitally and not get shut down? You know what I mean? Sure. Like that that that's really the it. Sure. And that uh, that leads me to another question is like at this point, because now you have the name and some legitimacy built up, are people coming to you or companies coming to you with this stuff? Or are you having to still do a lot of, I imagine you probably still have to do a lot of your own legwork, but how's it working out there? I mean, you're asking about companies. We don't bother with companies too much. I mean, we'll, we'll uh, smaller companies where it's like a cool person owns it. Yeah, we'll talk to them. You know what I mean? But like, we're not... <laughs> well, if it's like... I'm sorry to interrupt, but if it's like some guy, you know, like you think of like Tim, some composers out there, like Tim Folan, like yeah. if he wants to give you like his... Sure. Or Tim and Jeff Folan, if if he wants to like, hey, here here's the raw data. Here Here's the original masters of right. the music I created. Like if you're dealing with people instead of companies, that's probably a lot easier, I would imagine. It's a lot less a lot easier. And when, when we... Yeah. When we have gotten donations from companies, it's not been anything like significant, you know. It's been like, mm. um, like IDOS when they closed their U.S. office, they were like, "Hey, we're going to throw all the stuff out. Come get it." And it just ended up being uh, <laughs> lots and lots of retail games. Basically, I mean, we, have, <laughs> I've, 
<laughs> if anyone knows what to do with 97 <laughs> copies of Shellshock Nam 67, please. <laughs> oh, I'm good on that one. Just come, come lick, look through our dumpster, please. Um, like, but I mean, it's cool stuff. But it's you know, like yeah. we're. I mean, it was a little heartbreaking too because I'm going through their office yeah. and they have you know they have someone who was kind of assigned to me to make sure I wasn't taking anything I wasn't supposed to, and um, <laughs> which is nice. the stuff it, you needed. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. And it was just. It was really frustrating because it's like we're going through this abandoned building, basically. The, long story short, like IDOS US, their office basically shut down when uh, um, it was moved to the UK. And so, like, it was just an empty office for a long time and their lease was finally up. So they were emptying it out. And, and I'm going through all these cubicles. Like, there's one cubicle that I swear was just like, game builds burned on discs just like prototype games <laughs> like it was just full, and they were all going in the dumpster oh. um and oh my god that i understood but it was like you know I, I pulled out a file box and it was full of zip discs of like marketing art right like the <laughs> the, the one on top zip discs oh yeah nice. oh yeah i i have um ripped exact it's it's so weird i've ripped exactly 200 zip discs here um, <laughs> oh nice uh, oh that brings me back but uh you know, I open this box and it's zip discs. It's clearly marketing art. Like the first one on top is just Pandemonium logo PSD, right? And like that that's a PlayStation <laughs> game if you don't know that one. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, look, this is like marketing art. Can we rescue this? And he's like, no, I can't. I can't guarantee there's no like game build on these zip discs. And it's like, it wouldn't fit. <laughs> it wouldn't even fit. But, you know, I had to leave a lot of that stuff behind. But, um, but uh, yeah, I mean the the bigger companies, you know, the, a lot of red tape. Um, I don't, you know, I I think it's it's baby steps, and and I mean, for example, someone like an Electronic Arts, you know, it's just kind of getting to know. Um, for example, getting to know the 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 guy who runs their archive team. Uh, he's yeah. mm-hmm. he's someone who is actually on that committee I mentioned, for example. So you know, just starting to get in and have conversations is kind of where we're at with like the larger companies, but it's, it is not worth our time to at this point in history to, you know, call uh, Microsoft or whatever and be like, Hey, do you <laughs> right. want to start donating source code? Although there is a high level of Microsoft guy on our advisory board. So I don't know. Nice. <laughs> we'll, we'll nice. Get there. Do, yeah. Maybe one day. Do you, f- do you get the sense that, uh, gaming companies, at least now, you know, now that we're starting to get people involved in gaming that uh, have grown up with games, uh, do you get the sense that uh, some folks are starting to understand the importance of preservation? Yes. I mean, some folks always have. It's never been like a yeah. surprise. But um, two things I'd say to that are, are one that. Okay, I mentioned the film thing earlier, how we lost a bunch of movies, right? And yeah. the reason that we lost 20s film is because nothing existed in the 20s to do anything else with that film once it was done. You know, you would sell a movie to theaters, they'd run it, and that would be it. They'd want the next one. Yeah, there and, were no second and third runs back then. Right, yeah. there's no additional runs, there's no home video there's not even tv yet right there's not even broadcast rights there's nothing you can do with these movies so they got rid of them because why would you spend money to hold on to these um and the same was true of games for a very long time like you would write a game for a system it would come out and um 
you know, you might maybe archive that stuff depending on the company, but for the most part, it's like no one was thinking I'm going to port this NES game, you know, to the <laughs> next system when it comes out. It's just like, yeah, the game's out and done. And so we don't need this raw source anymore. And, and um, that was true for a long time. I think it has become, um, in the last like 10 years, I'd say that's turned around, uh, because we figured it out. (laughs) We figured out that, uh, you know, porting games on, on, onto the next system, which isn't as, you know, bad maybe as it used to be because architectures tend to be kind of, we've sort of started, you know, we sort of, everything's basically a computer at this point. Right. So like, Mm -hmm. it's not, it's not impossible to, to port games anymore. And, um, remakes of and remasters and stuff have become such commonplace that I'm pretty sure that most companies are doing a much better job than they used to. Um, but, uh, so that gives me hope. And then, um, that wasn't really the question. The question was like, are, 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 are we seeing people within the, the companies understand that? And yeah, we are. And, and, um, what I really like is that we're starting to get like occasionally like, a big nerd like us, like hired into a company, you know? So, um, one example that comes to mind is I, I, um, I was talking to the guys at incredible technologies when, when we were visiting Chicago, they're the guys who do golden tea. Um, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And they have a younger guy, younger by their standards, meaning our age, like, you know, like (laughs) hovering around 40 somewhere who grew up with golden tea and, you know, he's the guy who's just like digging through closets to find stuff now, you know, and then the stuff that all the old timers there are like, oh, I don't care about that crap, you know. So, you know, we're, we're starting to see that. Um, the studio that that's awesome. I can't for, I can't remember the name of the studio, but they're the ones who do Tex Murphy. Um, they also have a guy there who's just the young nerd who was really into Tex Murphy, and he. We did a podcast with him. He, he's <laughs> he was so like cool. literally digging like like pushing up ceiling tiles and finding ephemera up there and <laughs> stuff and yeah so you know we're, we're starting <laughs> to see great. some of that come around and um you know i'm not gonna say it's like a bright big beautiful tomorrow just because they're, they're there yeah. but um but you know the uh, the tone is shifting i would say for sure yeah, I, I just want to mention, since you brought up Incredible Technologies, I just want to give a shout out to that awesome NBA Jam style baseball game that you guys brought to light mm. uh, a couple years ago. And with the exploding baseballs coming out of home plate, that was <laughs> tremendous. And that was that was like the biggest laugh I've had in forever. But yeah, that was, would love to be able to play that on arcade. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's just, it's supported in MAME, but also I, I think we published instructions on how to modify a golden T board. I hope we did. Oh my God. Um, yeah, I got to get on that because that game looks great. I mean, it's baseball, but it's, midway style. It's, like, how yeah, do you not love that? Yeah, it's 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 historically interesting and, and um, yeah, kind of. Well, I'm not, I'm not going to try to judge it because I've never actually played it with a, a trackball like it's supposed to be. So I don't actually know how that game plays. <laughs> yeah. Despite having spent, you know, dozens and dozens of hours I making just, it I work just love. Again the guys that made it like were distracted so often by people down the hall like slamming and yeah you know because they got so you know like kicking and slamming the the uh, the cabinet because they got so into it because it's a trackball game which is hilarious to me but anyway and that's another thing where you know 
everything that we try to do at the foundation is like, okay, what, what is it that like is not going to get done if not for us? And that's another one of those where it's filling a need. Um, it's, it's, yeah. Yeah. Because it's, I mean, the story there was that, um, one of the game's programmers, Chris Oberth passed away like quite a while ago and mm-hmm. his family was, uh, kind of slowly selling off, you know, the stuff that was in the basement. Like he left behind a lot of retail games and stuff like that. And, um, they eventually came down to like what was clearly his work that he had burned onto CD ROMs and like piles of old hard drives and floppy disks and stuff like that. And, um, they ended up getting in contact with us. Cause again, we've got that sort of name out there when you, when you, when you Google things, right. Like, and we mm-hmm. have a website that looks like we know what we're doing <laughs> and, uh, um, ended up working with the family to kind of essentially what, what I ended up doing with them was cause they were really what the reason they came to us. They're like, we don't know what's on here and what we can sell. Uh, and they needed money cause you know, she was, she's a widow. She's left behind without, without her husband. Um, so we did go through and sort of evaluate everything with them and, you know, things like, you know, this is literally a hard drive backup. Don't sell that. (laughs) That's, that's not, I don't think that works, but, but this disc says Boulder dash source code, maybe sell that. Right. Um, so, uh, worked with them and, and, uh, recovered that game power up baseball, which was, um, for those who haven't seen it, it was uh, a midway led baseball sequel to NBA jam, but they had outsourced the actual development to incredible technologies, the golden T people. And we found, you know, in Chris Oberth's stuff, we found, uh, the, the full source code repository with all the, the art and everything. And, um, went through hell getting it built again but like we we can now build it from source code because we uh we we found the uh ec- the, the 68,000 compilers on very shady places on the internet and, got and <laughs> now you can modify power up baseball and build your own version of it oh that's um, awesome but uh yeah again that's something where it's like i don't know if that would have happened yeah. if not for us right. and and uh you know, we're, we're sort of small and scrappy and flexible enough where I can just be like, you know what, I'm, this is just what I do for the next month is work on this project because it's that important. And, and, uh, yeah. And that's, that's just, you know, that, that's the, one of the pros of being small, right. The the cons of course is, is lack of money, but like, like I I would like to have a much bigger, like I'm, I can only fit like a quarter of our magazines in the space, but, um, but, uh, and I spent like the next, I don't know how many days just like shouting from the rooftops. Like there's an, there's a, there <laughs> should have been a midway, <laughs> right? MLB jam. MLB basically. jam. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, awesome. Yeah. I, I definitely appreciate the, the work that you put into Thank that. Thank you. Yeah. And finding that source code and, and building it back. I mean, that, that has some real like Jurassic Park origin kind of deal there, right? Finding the dinosaur <laughs> DNA. And, building a crazy park it's it's kind of neat but it is you know, it, it's it's similar yeah <laughs> yeah i guess i don't know sorry i was bored over here thinking about dinosaurs but um th- uh you know we're, we're talking about things that are lost and just you know just from your perspective are there is there anything out there that you're pretty sure is gone that you think is extreme I and mean, i know there's probably a ton of things but like what's one thing mm-hmm. we'd be surprised is no longer out there like a 
I don't know, just anything. Is there something that's that's major to video game history that you're like, nah, that's gone? Hmm. That's I mean, a very vague question, but it's not a vague question. It's a very specific question, but uh it's hard to think of anything because we've been so fortunate that video games have been a physical media for so mm-hmm. long. Um I Is am, there a holy grail out there for you? For me personally, sure, but I don't know, you know. <laughs> so uh, I oh. mean my my personal grail would be the the uh, N64 version of Mother 3. Um the, oh, of course. Uh, yeah. So I, I'm with you 100% locked up. I mean, that's right a very there, yeah. important series and mm-hmm. um that is a really interesting rough draft um with a different direction for a game that depending on when you ask me might be my actual favorite game. Um, so the fact that it exists in this like weird other form, um, and let's be clear too, we know from interviews that, uh, it, 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 it didn't just exist in like half finished like buggy well i mean it's buggy i'm sure mm-hmm. but but it, it wasn't uh, like essentially reading between the lines and, and 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 reading the interviews and stuff like all the systems and stuff were in place what the reason it was canceled was there was just too much work to do essentially to just polish up things like the character animations and scripting how they walked in cutscenes and stuff like that like that that was sort of yeah work. and um but it seems as if reading the interview that they were polishing the game chronologically in, in, in terms of like the game. And so it does seem to me that like half ish of that game is like actually a game, you know, it doesn't just exist with like placeholder stuff. Like it seems like it's actually kind of polished and playable. So like we, we know it was in a state where it was something to actually like touch and play. And then it wasn't just a mess. And um, I'd really like to, to see that vision of, of, of what the original was like. Yeah. Yeah. That's... Earthbound 64 was in Nintendo power multiple times. Oh yeah. They demonstrated it at least twice. Yeah. Back there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it was, yeah. I, I remember looking forward to it and then poof, nothing. I, I, something that I, they did an interview when they canceled it in, in Japanese. Um, and I don't know if you remember as Nintendo show was space world. That was the Japanese show where they introduced all their new products. Um, hmm. and I mean, like that's where mother three was shown was space world. Um, and you know, they, when the project was canceled, they had this very playable game that sort of cuts off at a certain point. Um, and Miyamoto said in the interview that, uh, even though it's canceled, he wants to put it in space world. Um, and like, that's just so fascinating to think about, like how, how, cool would that have been like whoa come play this game it's the only time you're ever gonna see it because <laughs> we yeah. canceled it but but come see it <laughs> like it's almost like a like a wake you know like how cool yeah like i i wish he would have done that that would have been like that would have been so fascinating oh man yeah yeah it's not i mean it's not like today we're not used to seeing trailers for games that never come out anyway so i mean it would have it would have been Oh, yeah, everything comes out. Uh, now. <laughs> yeah, well now. Yeah, that's true. You don't. That's that's kind of a lost. I don't, I'm not going to call it a lost art, obviously. But <laughs> no, that's it's, just a, it's, it's just a, I mean, no, tons of stuff gets canceled. Um, yeah, all the time. It's just, but yeah, you don't get the marketing involved anymore unless it's yeah. like mm. a sure thing. 
Um, it's a good point. Yeah. Like if an announced game gets canceled at this point, it's like, oh, something went very wrong. But like, yeah, like many, many games get canceled after actual years of development still. Um, it's just that they take that long now, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Um, so it takes that much longer to get to the like, yeah, back then, you know, you game might take like a year or two. Right. And and when you're a year in and it looks fine, you might announce it. But yeah. Yeah, fascinating stuff. Well, we we mentioned Nintendo Power. I think that's a good segue to talk about uh, the interview that you had with Gail Tilden and Howard Phillips and Leslie Swan and uh, Jeff Baffis. Baffis, um, yeah. Yeah, how did that go? And uh, Alex, you got to see it, so you, you talked highly of it. Um, seemed like it was a good time. I hate I missed it. Yeah, like I told Trav, once you get to the point where the guests are asking each other questions, I think yeah. that's a good panel. Yeah, that, that was great. Gail is a rock star. She remembers everything. Gail's so cool. She's happy cool. to explain stuff. She's the best. I mean, I... And, uh, yeah. A big part of organizing that was just, I want the world to know Gail. <laughs> Gail's amazing. Oh, wow, yeah. Um, <laughs> and she's, I just, I don't feel she's as acknowledged as she should be. Like, she was the boss. She was the editor-in-chief of Nintendo Power mm-hmm. for the first 10 years. And, you know, look up Nintendo Power on Wikipedia. She's barely on there. Um, so, anyway, yeah, the the I had first met Gail I mean, a little more than 10 years ago, um, but just as a journalist doing a historical piece on, on the launch of the NES. But I had last spoken to her 10 years ago, and it was when um, Nintendo Power was canceled. Uh, and... Um, like I was the one who told her, <laughs> like she didn't know. Um, and, oh my God. uh, I did a piece where sort of in memorial of the magazine, this was for gamasutra.com when I worked there. Um, I interviewed Gail and Howard just on the origins of the magazine and how it came together and stuff like that. And, um, and I just, at the time, I was like, God, I really want these two in a room at the same time. <laughs> like they, they clearly have a relationship. They'll, they'll clearly bounce off each other in, in fun ways. And um, I, I just felt like I wasn't getting the full story. And um, I'm just going to say Howard was smiling the entire time. I know. And when he talked, everyone else on the panel was smiling. Yeah. So it's, it's one of those things where it's easy to see why he had the job that he had. Totally. I mean, I'm, I mean, you probably remember that part where he just went off for like four minutes about like the joys of game playing and how and what we were doing for the kids and stuff and he just... went off on his uh, he had like eight items that he graded games on or something like that yeah. and he just went on and on and on and it was great i was like soaking in all of it, it yeah was awesome yeah he's a treat he's really he's 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 so generous <laughs> with his time with us he's um he's done a lot of volunteer work for us because he's um oh that's awesome because you know he from his perspective it's like look this industry's given me a lot i want to give something back um so uh-huh. and he's like I, I really like the way you guys are approaching video game history and i want to help with that and you know we um we use him when we can like we've we've gone we've i've i've, I've taken him to like retro conventions to talk and stuff like that um but uh yeah he's he's great but um yeah i'm really glad you enjoyed the panel it was uh uh, kind of experimental for us. It's the second time that we did a sort of ticketed virtual event. Um, and it, it did, it did all right. It didn't do, 
nearly the numbers that the previous one did uh where what was the previous one so uh again i i said earlier depending on when you ask mother three might be my favorite game um yes the the other one that it would be would be the secret of monkey island um and uh i did a panel not a panel i just did me and ron gilbert who was the creator and project lead of that game and um I was very fortunate to have had access to that game's source code. Um, And in having access to that and the tools to build the game and everything, like I actually learned how to script the game and, and I found a whole bunch of like deleted scenes uh, that I rebuilt and put in the game and like made videos of and stuff. Cause it's just still in the source code. I just need to like, you know, kind of tie it all together in code to make sure it works again. Um, and so we did an hour and a half stream uh, where we talked about the making of this game and we went through the source and, and I, I showed a bunch of cut stuff to see what he remembered. And we did a live demonstration of uh, scripting in that game, like, like, like building new features really quick, like new dialogue responses wow. and stuff like that. And, and, and how easy it was. Cause that was, I don't know if either of you have, play that game from the reaction i kind of doubt it but um the, oh, yeah. the <laughs> no i'm sorry oh you have okay <laughs> um <laughs> so you know that that game has this writing style that's very like improv almost like it, it feels like people were goofing off and they were and and um the magic of that game is its scripting language scum um, because it, it's the system that Ron had built for all those LucasArts games like Monkey Island and Loom and Indiana mm-hmm. Jones and Sam and Max and all that, like all that used scum. And it was it was meant to be something where you, you could, unlike most game engines, very quickly, like if you had like a dumb idea over lunch, just like get back in and like get it in the game quickly in like 20 minutes or something and just see how it plays. And so, you know, I really wanted to demonstrate that for people because that's something that had been said in interviews, but it's like, no, look, here's how you would script like a dumb joke really quickly and scum and then build it and play it and see how it plays. Um, anyway, that one, God, we sold like 1,300 tickets or something to that. Jeez, that's yeah. awesome. Hokey smoke. Yeah. Wow. It was that's it crazy. was really cool, and it's like, I don't know. Again, like, favorite game of all time, maybe, right? And like, yeah. I'm... That's I'm like in control of really it cool. and talking to the guy who made it. And, you know, like, yeah, that's incredible. Yeah. That's awesome. That's, I don't know. I don't, I, maybe I should just retire. I don't know how to top that. For myself. <laughs> it's just all been downhill from there for me. <laughs> yeah. Now you're on this podcast. I'm sorry. Dude. Yeah. What are you doing here? <laughs> oh man. Yeah. I think Alex, you had a fun uh, anecdote about Michael Keaton. You were telling me about yeah, what what I, I remember somebody I don't remember I I was taking notes because that's kind of what I do that's that's okay. my habit. Michael Keaton thought his jowls looked too fat. Now was that because of a picture in Nintendo Power, or was it or maybe because a of painting or something? Bat- yeah, it was it was a Nintendo Power specifically. Um, it was in Nintendo. Okay, all right. I I need a clarification on that because Michael Pete Michael Keaton is a string bean. Yeah. Like, what are you talking about your jowls for, dude? It might. Have, I don't remember this? if did they do like a painting for the poster or something. Maybe like maybe that's what it was. Mm. Oh, um, maybe that was it. Okay. And you know, it's really funny <laughs> because um, 
before he passed away, I talked to Jay Moon quite a bit, who was a producer at Sunsoft, who produced most of the NES games. And uh, mm. he was telling me that uh, they had a lot of trouble with Kim Basinger's people because she didn't like the way that her face looked in the game. She thought she looked fat. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> so... <laughs> There's something about the actors in that movie. That was Batman Forever. Oh wait, so, guess? no. Uh, maybe, maybe I'm getting the names mixed up. Vicky Vale from the first one, who, who played her. Oh, okay, gotcha. Was that Kim Basinger? I don't remember. Whoever I that think so. Was. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. So it was yeah the Batman the video game for the NES, which I think this was also though it could have been Returns. I don't remember. Jeez. But yeah, <laughs> a lot of good funny. anecdotes in that show. Um, you know, well, we haven't put it online just yet, but we're going to. It's, it's again, we're not like holding it on purpose. It's just that we want to make sure the people who bought the tickets, you mm-hmm. know, there's some sort of sure, at least like a month of no one else has seen it yet. But yeah, it's just going to be on YouTube or something. So we will, it was, we'll have that out soon. Yeah, it was wonderful. You know, somebody, you know, I was born in 82. I was a Nintendo Power subscriber from, I want to say from like 91 till, I don't know. Uh, early 2000s maybe late 90s I can't remember when I tuned out of that <laughs> tuned out of that but yeah it was it was absolutely I mean getting to know Gail Tilden and her work getting to talk to Howard Phillips yeah. Leslie and Jeff were both great of course and I was so getting to know I was so happy that Leslie just you know with no hesitation uh, did her Princess Peach voice for us oh yeah that was another great <laughs> i had no idea like she was the uh what was it the mario 64 yeah she was she was the wow. voice of princess peach in mario 64 she was just in japan for work and in the office and they were like you know <laughs> hey american girl you know can, right can you come voice princess peach so yeah dear mario yeah like she just, <laughs> just that is cr- yeah, awesome i love that so if read you want to hear the source memory. material of that <laughs> then stay tuned to the to game history yeah uh, youtube channel yeah that is awesome that is awesome and, and speaking of some other stuff that you do because i know we're about we're coming up on an hour here i subscribe sure. to the the monthly uh mystery box magazine oh, giveaway thank you thing. It is awesome. I let every. I, it's the most exciting thing. When I get that notification, I'm so excited. And my wife doesn't really get it. She's like, "Here's another old magazine." I'm like, "You have no idea. This is awesome." <laughs> um, but my fear, I have this weird fear that I know there's finite magazines, and I'm like, "Are they ever going to run out? And one day, I'm not going to get mail." But what's the situation? Have you got enough magazines for everybody? Is it good? Uh, for a while, yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, so, yeah, we sell uh, blind box magazines, vintage magazines, as a fundraiser, um, and. I want to go into this because it's really interesting and I, I'm really proud of oh, the sort of the sort of machine that we set up with this. So um, we we really want there to be more scanned magazines out there. Like that's that's what people tend to reference. And, you know, I don't uh, I mean, don't take this the wrong way. I'd much rather you all read magazines at home than have to visit here. You know, like it, it, <laughs> it, it, I'd rather everything we have be scanned. It's just like kind of financially impossible to scan this much stuff but um but i want to see more scanned stuff out there and um so what this blind box program does basically it generates revenue for us that we then go buy giant lots of magazines and they come in and whenever i get a magazine it's like is it on the shelf yes or no 
Okay. Is it better than the one on the shelf? Yes or no? Okay. Uh, is it currently scanned somewhere online? And if it's not, I put it aside and mail them off to be scanned by someone and put online. Um, and then if it passes all of those, then I just resell it and repeat the process infinitely. So we've, we've kind of made this, I, I visualize it like a machine where like you feed us magazines or money and, you know, we just keep this process going where we use magazines to make ma money to buy magazines <laughs> to like just keep making not only our collection you know even better but to to get things online and um i've got something like 600 american console magazines set aside right now that aren't scanned yet that we're just going to mail out and and have someone put online so uh it's it's a really useful program and 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 in terms of are we running out i mean uh, so far the ebay supplies been fine like like we're <laughs> like i mean literally mostly what i'm doing is just if is there a lot on ebay yeah and it's like within a certain price range where we actually profit if we sell it you know um mm -hmm. then we've just been buying them so i just i mean there's i'm trying to peek outside i think i have like nine packages outside the door right now <laughs> like, like they're yeah. coming in all the time but um but yeah, so far supplies holding up. I did have to we we did get overwhelmed once because Kotaku was so kind and ran a story without me knowing and and um, and I had 300 subscriptions that day. <laughs> and it was like Whoa. Yeah, um I had to cancel all of them and just send a very kind note like thank you so much for your support. I can't believe how many of you did this. Uh we literally can't fulfill all of these. <laughs> I'm sorry, but, um, but we're currently holding steady at about 350 subs right now, and uh, we can do about five. I'm probably going to turn the subs back on soon because we turned them off uh, after. Oh, that. okay, wow. Um, yeah, but uh, I didn't realize that. Yeah, I, well, I actually, just opened one that I got in the mail uh, yesterday. We got a we got a Darkwing Duck uh, one, which is timely because our last guest on here is a big Darkwing Duck fan. We got uh, we got volume right. 36 of Nintendo Power. So uh, awesome. thank you awesome awesome episode, awesome uh, issue and it's it's great i didn't realize that it was uh, it had been turned off so i i feel extra lucky for for being a part of it yeah we still let people buy individual ones we just turned off the subscription oh, great. yeah cuz i great. didn't know if it was going to be successful and like my thought was if we get subscriptions even though we're charging less than we do for individual then we have like something like reliable monthly income and and I was thinking maybe a hundred and we hit 500 really quickly. <laughs> and, like, had to, and my thought, like when we started it, I was like, because we just had, as you can imagine, like, you know, maybe like three, 4,000 duplicates that, you know, over the last like 20 years of me collecting magazines, it was just like someday someone will trade with me. And that never happened. <laughs> you know, like who trades right. video game <laughs> magazines? Um, so it was just like, okay, I'm going to do this fun subscription thing, and in 10 months from now, all of our duplicates will be gone. I don't have to pay for the storage unit anymore. It's going to be great. But it was just so successful that it's like, okay, I'm drop shipping magazines now. And, <laughs> <laughs> um, but again, like, it, it's not just to get us money. It's just like it's creating more magazine preservation. I think it's really cool. Yeah, that That's is right. really cool. And how can people help? I mean, not just with the magazine thing, but I, I assume you would welcome anyone with a big stack of duplicates to, to send them your way oh, if they yeah. wanted to. Absolutely. But are there any other ways that people can, you know, outside of donating, which I know is, is a big, 
big point of emphasis uh, for for any foundation that's not for profit to to sustain itself. What yeah. are some other things that people can do to to help with the mission? I mean, I, I wish I had a good answer for that. It's like there's so much volunteer work that theoretically could be done, um, even remotely, that we're just show, so short-staffed that we just don't have the resources to manage that yet. Like, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it is it's is a goal of ours that, that, I mean, just for example, like, all of this data that we're digitizing and just kind of putting online, it's like, I would, it probably makes sense to have volunteers go through these press kits and, like, mark all of the games that are in there so that people can find that stuff easier, right? Like, that that's something that we're hoping for one day. We're just not there yet. Or, like you know, audio transcription, which is a very thankless task that we hate, but, um, (laughs) but, but, you know, we might want to start transcribing old interviews and stuff like that one day. Um, like we actually have permission from the game developers conference that we can transcribe and post any of their talks going back to the nineties, which is great because we actually have their talks from the nineties on cassette tape. Um, so anyway, uh, we, we don't, necessarily have any volunteer work in place uh what i we do get people as you can imagine all the time asking how do i help um Mm -hmm. what i'll say is the most useful thing to do if you want to help is email us and say here's what i'm good at (laughs) (laughs) here's what i like doing and I, i i don't necessarily have a task list but occasionally someone will email and be like, I'm an accountant. And I'll be like, oh, my God, <laughs> like, I, I need that, you know, or or, you know, uh, I am a server side engineer. And it's like, oh, great. My tech guy needs help with this thing right now. You know, so like that, <laughs> like if, if you want to help, just kind of tell us what your skills are. Right. Because I just don't have like a list of like tasks, but mm-hmm. you might you might give me a good idea. Right, right on. Awesome. Right on, man. Well, I think that's all we had for you today. We're, we're, we've hit the hour. We appreciate your time so much because we know you're a busy guy. You've got a lot of boxes to go through and things to digitize <laughs> yeah. and magazines. I'm still, I'm still unpacking. Like, yeah. I'm still unpacking because we moved here a couple months ago. I'm um, still unpacking magazines. Well, we only just got the shelves. These God, uh, these library I shelves are, I, they're, you know, they're, they're meant for universities, so they're very expensive um, and mm. take like five months to make, but we just got them installed last week, so I've just been... I, I think those. support is only going to grow for uh, your for your cause because as people get older, it's people are going to want to, you know, it, over the years as the years go by, you know, people are going to want to help out with something like that. I think because, so. Yeah, I mean, especially just, like people who worked in and around the industry. Like I, mm-hmm. I mean, Howard right. Howard's such a good example, right? Where it's just like I I'm right. semi retired and I just kind of want to give back and and. What I always think about is when my wife and I travel just to small towns or whatever, if there's a train museum or like a weird little museum, we go and there's always guys like in their 70s fixing stuff in there. (laughs) And like there's just guys like with wrenches doing whatever you do to trains to maintain them. I don't know. And and, and it's like, (laughs) yeah, like 
that that's a reality for video games right now. We have like semi-retired engineers who probably would like to tinker and and get things mm-hmm. working and and yeah. So, but the thing is, is that you you don't need solderers or right. you know like people like <laughs> really good at soldering. You know, uh, like you know, so I, you say that, like that, but maybe you maybe you do. I mean, we don't do a lot of hardware someday. repair, but I I do need people. <laughs> you know, and this isn't right the second, but it's like I have a lot of just data on formats that i hate <laughs> you know like I uh like <laughs> well you mentioned zip disks earlier oh, zip disks are sake. nothing I mean, dude geez. like that's nothing oh, I, talk to me about tape sure backup compared to what tape backup yeah. tape backup oh, on tape as in magnetic <laughs> tape and there's data oh, on there and that's rough it's a oh, it's my. a size of tape yes but which of the 20 competing backup programs did they use uh, to, to back oh, that thing no. up in the day? And, oh, did I mention that you need literally SCSI to, because there's no, like, modern USB oh, drives boy. for these. T- yeah. So, you know, that's not exactly soldering, but, like, there is a need for stuff like that. <laughs> it's, um, so it's I, I didn't want to dismiss basically. the yeah. physical stuff is what I'm saying, because it's <laughs> like, I just, I don't want to, there's, we have a lot of that, and I just don't have the time to solve that. And yeah. and when I've done it, like, for example, Power Up Baseball came from a tape, like some of those parts. Um, Holy cow. And it was, wow. it was awful. Okay. It was really awful. <laughs> uh, and... You know, luckily I had a volunteer who's very good at that and very patient with a non-engineering type with me in terms of like setting up the Linux distro. I've never installed Linux in my life, but you know, like no, me neither. um, Yeah, that's way above my pay grade. And like, I don't know what that is. You know, helping me like look at the raw data off the tape and determine like, okay, it's this specific version, and like, you know. I had then had to install like Windows 95 and like find that version of the tape backup software, which luckily just miraculously was on the Internet Archive. Most of them aren't. And yeah, oh, I mean, wow. it's a whole process. And, and uh, I, I'm just saying I don't, I'm not dismissing that we need like hardware people. It's like, no, I need people who are good at old computers who want to get data off of this stuff that I just don't have the resources to deal with. Yeah. All right on, man. That's maybe it's some of those folks will listen to this podcast. Yeah, well, hopefully they live here because we're not mailing any of this stuff out. It's we're just too protective. <laughs> like no, I'm, I'm serious. You know, like like it has to be on site. I can't I can't yeah, mail exactly. out the only known copy of this game's source code. It needs to be on site. Yeah. Um, Understood. But, so if you're in, in the in the San Francisco Bay Area and you're good at that sort of thing, yeah, please get in touch. <laughs> right on. if we get any hits on that i would be impressed but let's hope let's hope that that's the case um but all right frank thanks so much man yeah. we really again we really appreciate the time and uh you know maybe maybe in a year or two from now we'll we can touch base and see how things are going over there because i think what you're doing is interesting and it's only going to get more interesting thank you sounds good All right, everyone, that's been another Drunk Friend Podcast. And hey, guess what? You can reach out to us with questions or comments at drunkfriendpodcast at gmail.com. We'll respond, read them here eventually. And please head over to polymedianetwork.com for more podcasts like this one. That's it? Well, you're supposed to promote other podcasts like Tales of the Lesser Medium and all that other stuff. I can't. Petey's Power Hour. uh, Yeah. IndieQuest. That's on there. IndieQuest is on there. Yeah. Polykill. Don't forget that one. That's my main space. Polykill is one of those that exists Mm -hmm. on there. And if you're not interested in sending an email, that's not a big deal. Just give us a a rating and a review on a podcast app of your choice, and that'll help us out big time.
And you can rate on Spotify right now. Do it now. Get down. There's a chopper. Get down. No. <laughs> don't. Now get down. Uh, if you put something with now I know. an exclamation point after it, you know I'm going to go full Arnold. You can't do that to me. I expected get it. down. And, and it happened. And it makes me feel like a puppet master. Uh, you can find <laughs> you can find us all on social media. One time I typed "yeah" in here. You you James Hetfielded for thirty minutes. Yeah. Uh, you can Ooh. find us. <laughs> you can find us all on social media, and that includes Arnold Schwarzenegger and James Hetfield. Uh, but you can find us on Twitter at yeah. uh, I'm at Traff Plays Games. Alex is of course at Snest Drunk. And you can find Frank Cifaldi at you guessed it Frank Cifaldi. And as always, the music you heard in the beginning. And that you're hearing right now was composed by our friend Kulor. The track you hear is called Electric Starbounce, and you can find a link to more of his music on the Buzzsprout podcast page. Shout out to Josh Leslie for our thirst-quenching logo. Be sure to catch us all on YouTube. Thanks for listening. And we hope you have a great rest of our day. Get down! Woo! Thank <laughs> you.